Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem. Amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Getting into the commentary on Surah Al-Baqarah in Sari Quran. We are now doing the first ayah, which is Alif Lamim. All right. So what is it like of the 114 surahs? Of the 114 surahs of the Quran 29 begin with individual letters of the Arabic alphabet. In this translation, these letters are transliterated as recited. Alif is the name of the first letter of the Arabic alphabet. Although in other translations, the corresponding Latin letters are used, which in this case would be A-L-M. Mm-hmm. In recitation, the names of the letters are used, not their sounds. Also, some letter names have two forms. What's the difference between those two? Ra and Ra. Yeah. So basically, like Ra, uh, in a word, will depend upon the vowel that comes before it. Like Lam is the same. So... Uh, depending on the vowel that comes before it, either you're going to pronounce it as ra or ra. Oh. And lam will be either lo or la, depending upon the vowel. Basically, if there's an alif before it, it's mm-hmm. going to be the heavier sound. If there's a kasra before it, it's going to be the lighter sound. And, and that's basically how, it's, uh, how it plays out. Mm-hmm. And you'll even find uh, a couple translations where instead of a for alif, it'll be like i or it'll be e. Because mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they want to... That's how they make things more exotic or ethnic in some of these translations. Yeah. The Quran uses the former, the commentary, the latter. Yeah. Um, the individual letters are one of the most enigmatic features of the of the Quran and have been a subject of debate and speculation among Muslims since the revelation of the Quran. It is reported by many Quran commentators that Abu Bakr, the first caliph, said every book has a mystery, and the mystery of the Quran is the beginnings of the surahs. That's an interesting uh, teaching. Another way to frame this is that uh, those letters are the ultimate in terms of ambiguity, right? So think of mystery mystery as potentially being synonymous with, with ambiguity. Uh, how would you regard differences between that which is ambiguous versus that which is mysterious, not necessarily in the context of Islam or scripture or anything, just the words themselves? Mystery implies a solution. Interesting. And ambiguity does not? I wouldn't say so. Ambiguity, I would say, implies nuance Mm -hmm. and um, a a collection of plausible results, whereas mystery, I believe, implies one result or a solution. Okay. And then where would you fit the word secret in there? So mystery, ambiguity, secret. Secret... So I would say both ambiguity and mystery may note something of, of a puzzle of sorts. Okay. Secret does not. Okay. I'd say secret is something concealed. Okay. So now make them all the same. Uh, mystery, ambiguity, and secret. Um, like what's common among all three? There's something unknown. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so here it says every book has a mystery, and the word they're translating as mystery is sir. Sir can be translated as secret, mm-hmm. right? And so one aspect here, when we're spe- whether we speak of mystery, ambiguity, or secret, is that every book has something unknown about it, or something unknown in it, mm-hmm. or something of the unknown. And in the Quran, well, what is one of the big things of the unknown would be those particular beginnings of surahs. When it says every book, does it mean scripture? Um, 
So, if he's translating kitab as book, it could mean every scripture. And if you think of the word scripture meaning something written, mm -hmm. that's kitab, right? Um, I'm guessing it's probably speaking of scripture. Yeah. Because, I mean, at that era, I don't know how, uh, how common it was to have novels. Right. Novels didn't really start appearing on the scene until about a thousand years later. Well, when you consider um, legends and oral traditions books. I mean, I'm guessing they did not. Mm. Yeah. All right, Ali, the fourth caliph, is reported to have said every book has a quintessence. Yeah. Safwa, and the quintessence of this book is the spelled out letters. Mm -hmm. So here, this could be... Uh, how would you translate quintessence? I have never seen quintessence used as a noun. Uh-huh. Okay, then how have you seen it used? Um, I suppose an adjective, that something is quintessential. Yeah, so which means what? A perfect example. Okay. So, yeah, so, so here uh, there is a teaching of the prophet, very similar piece be upon him, where he says everything has a high point. Mm -hmm. And then the high point of the Quran is the second surah, or the pinnacle of the Quran is the second surah. So then what does Ali mean um, when he's saying this, that he is probably saying that the, the high, high point of connecting to Allah is some doubt uh, in these three letters. How? In terms of how you regard these three letters, right? In terms of submission. Um. Razi. Yeah, Razi, yeah. Discusses the metaphor of a great sea, which leads to a river, which leads to streams, which lead to rivulets. If the rivulet was made to carry all the water of the stream or the river bend, the entire contents of the sea, it would be overwhelmed and destroyed. He mentions the verse, he sends down water from the sky so that the river bends flow according to their measure, 13, 17. He further reports the saying, the learned have a secret, the vesigerants, Khalafa? Yeah, Khalafa, same thing that Khalifa or Caliph is coming oh, okay. from. Yeah. The vesigerants have a secret, the prophets have a secret, the angels have a secret, and beyond all of that, Allah has a secret. If the ignorant came to know the secret of the learned, they would destroy them. If the learned came to know the secret of the vesigerants, they would break away from them. If the vesigerants came to know the secret of the prophets, they would oppose them. If the prophets came to know the secret of the angels, they would indict them. If the angels knew the secret of Allah, they would fall down in bewilderment and pass away into ruin. Okay, so try to translate this. What? It's a nice poetic line. <coughs> Sounds cool, so let's try to make sense of it. Sounds a bit scary. Yep. So, so everything, everyone has a secret. Okay, so you have secrets, I have secrets. So let's try to get a sense of what the secret is that's being spoken about here. Prophets, angels, God has a secret. So if the ignoramuses came to know the secret of the learned, I like the word ignoramus better than ignorant, um, they would destroy them. Okay. So the, they being the ignorant would destroy the learned? Yeah. Okay. So this could be referring to the fact that the ignorance, the ignoramuses do not know how to hold on to that which is secret about someone else, right? So imagine everyone revealed everything about themselves to everyone. I mean, we do a lot of that in public media, social media anyway, but like everything that's about you, you reveal to everyone else. That's very, that's also part of the 
culture, um, the this culture sort of confessional. Mm-hmm. There's um, a there's that line in that Akram Nadui book. Um, what is it that uh, the difference between many Muslim cultures and contemporary Western culture is that in Muslim cultures, uh, uh, people love in secret and pray in public, yet in this culture, people love in public and pray in secret, right? Um, and yeah, so so imagine, you know, uh, like all your secrets are being shared and displayed. What will happen? Yeah, very, very uh, bad things yeah, will happen. Yeah, not good, not good. <laughs> and so that becomes the playground for, for the ignoramuses. Because all this information is available, and now people are going to use it for whatever, whatever inappropriate use. Mm. Then it says, if the learned came to know the secrets, they would break away from them. So, uh, secrets of the vestigerants, so of the caliphs, uh, or here we're talking about at a spiritual level, the people who are very, very high in terms of fulfilling their obligations... But could this be applied to, say, political leaders? Uh, I think this is speaking more of people who are at a very high spiritual level in terms of fulfilling their obligations to Allah. Okay. And so what will be taking place? The learned know what are right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And then they're seeing these people who have a higher spiritual status, saying, okay, these people are not qualified to have a higher spiritual status than us, and so they'll probably break off. Mm-hmm. And then, then it gets, I think, really interesting. So if if the people of high spiritual status came to know the secret of the prophets, they would oppose them. So we generally go with the belief that the prophets, you know, in public and behind closed door are doors are upright, mm-hmm. right? But what we would see in prophets would be mistakes, and so those people of high spiritual status would 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 regard you know the prophets as making mistakes which seem to be beneath their status. And if the prophets knew the secret of angels, that is beyond my knowledge to, to translate for you. So, well, haven't I've heard you describe angels as like God's robots? So they basically they've reached a point where they're not capable of disobeying God. They're thus God's robots. Right. But what is being spoken about here? Uh, that I don't know. And then, if the angels knew the secrets of God, they'd fall down in bewilderment, pass away into ruin. That's basically that would be basically saying. That is beyond their capacity to take in. It would ruin. It would destroy them. So think of when Moses, peace be upon him, wanted to see God, and God is telling him you're not going to be able to handle it. And then God tells him to look at this ray of divine light that hits this mountain, hits Mount Sinai, crushes Mount Sinai, and Moses passes out because Moses couldn't take it. And so, if we were to see God without any filters, uh, we wouldn't be able to exist anymore. It'd be beyond something that our being could contain. That's. What you just said, that that's in Islam? Yeah. Do you know the Christian rendition? Mm. The Christian rendition is that uh, Moses asked to see God, and God said you couldn't handle it. Uh-huh. And eventually he tells him, fine. Um, it said that God walks by, and he said, you can look at my back. Oh, wow. And Moses does, and I'm not sure if Moses is said to have had a reaction, but from what I remember, um, it said that after after that sort of exposure to God, he could he could not live among people for an extended period of time. I don't know if it was months uh-huh. or years. Interesting. Because whatever perhaps residual effect of God was upon him, other people could not see that upon mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. or else they would have an effect. Oh, it's very very fascinating. So at least in the general sense, there's parallels here. Similar, yeah. Yeah, 
And so the idea being that there's things that for our own good are kept uh, hidden from us. And so Alif Lamim can be a hint that there are things that for our own good are kept hidden from us. So. Okay. The commentator Ibn Ajiba, Ajiba. Ajiba is of the opinion that only the elite of the greatest friends of God know the secrets of these letters. So not just the friends of God, not just the greatest friends of God, but the elite among them know the secrets of these letters. Okay. Meaning those are the only people who can handle it. Mm -hmm. so. These sayings speak to the position that there are ineffable realities known only to some, mm -hmm. and that the individual letters may be one of those mysteries whose true meaning is largely hidden, but not entirely so. Many theologians have objected to the notion that any part of the Quran is unknowable to people, adducing verses that describe the Quran as a clear book or wise book and as a guidance in a clear Arabic tongue. I suspect that the people that he's saying, uh, many theologians have objected to this, uh, they're probably the people that are called the Mu'tazila. So the Mu'tazila placed very tremendous uh, uh, emphasis on human reason that because we have been gifted with reason, we can understand everything. And the Sunni theolo theological critique of the Mu'tazila is that no, because then that is saying you can fully understand God. Okay. And so the Sunni, so the Mu'tazila argument is that I understand these words according to what they mean. And the Sunni theological argument is no, you understand these words according to what they mean to you, but what they actually mean is what God says they mean. Okay. And God is not bound by the limits of your mind. Was Ibn Rushd a Mu'tazila? Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, uh, so there's two Ibn Rushds. There's Ibn Rushd the jurist. Like when you hear them being referred to, there's Ibn Rushd the jurist and then the grandson, the philosopher. And so people are usually often referring to the philosopher in our culture. Yeah. And, and so he would technically be a Sunni, but he has, uh, he sounds like he fits within the Mu'tazila because the Mu'tazila are basically Greek thinkers. Mm -hmm. Ibn Rush is essentially a Greek thinker. We commented on Aristotle. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Going on? Yeah. Uh, these, I said that. Uh, moreover, if there were no way to gain knowledge of the book, it would be as if one addressed Arabs in a language incomprehensible to them. Okay, so this would be the other extreme. <laughs> so one extreme is that you can understand everything. There's nothing unknowable, including al-Islami. The other extreme is you can't understand any of it. Right. The question of knowing the inner meaning of the Quran is discussed in detail in Surah 3, Ayah 7, the note there. That's basically the ayah that says there are two types of ayahs, those that are categorical and those that are ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Those with disease and the ones that are categorical are the foundation of the book. Those who have diseases in their hearts will focus on the ambiguous, mm -hmm. trying to cause, give meaning and thus through that trying to cause dissension. Mm -hmm. yeah. Razi tries for a compromised position by noting that although we can know the wisdom in certain kinds of legislation, such as the prohibitions against alcohol and gambling, there are other actions required by religion whose wisdom we do not know, such as some of the rituals of the Hajj. Okay, so what do we say? he's saying in a nutshell is that for social matters, we can probably figure out the wisdom behind why something is prescribed or prohibited. Yeah. For acts of worship that's non-rational, so we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to figure out like why is Hajj on that particular day of the entire calendar? Why? Because that's what's been handed down. It's not uh, in the realm of rationality. 
doesn't mean it's irrational, it means non-rational. Why do we have two sajdas? Why do we have, you know, one ruku in when we're praying? Why do we do, you know, two rakas for Fajr and four for Zohar and then four and then three and four and then all the sunnahs and stuff? That's just what's handed down, right? So there are some things that we cannot know. The part of the Quran that we cannot understand is analogous to those actions whose underlying wisdom we do not know. We perform them with trust and faithfulness, but without the transparency available to us in order in other aspects of religious practice. Yeah. So that's a nice language to describe that. Yeah, but keep going. Yeah. We allow them to remain mysteries, and Al-Razi argues that this can have the positive effect of keeping one's heart oriented beyond the world and beyond what one already knows. Uh, so that's an uh, interesting point. So this can help us keeping our, our heart oriented. How? Keeping our heart oriented beyond the world. If, if one if one feels as though everything is within their grasp with, within reason if one feels as though they can wrap their mind around everything and in a sense have have some vague notion of control yeah. that could perhaps I would say ground a person too much uh-huh. in in what is immediately before them and thinking that they have control mm-hmm. over everything. Yeah, it becomes almost a type of conquest. That if I can wrap my mind around something, then in a way I believe I have control over it. Yet, then there's a, a break or a breach because there's so much in my world that I have no control over. Right. And so what this allows for is letting go and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and thus having trust that you're still going to be okay. Often so many human frustrations come from this idea of being able to control certain aspects and the uh-huh. disappointment is met when those aspects are not controlled yeah. in the manner in which you expect them to be. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the, the, the gifts of religion is to yeah. allow you to be able to let go of those things you can't control, right? That famous serenity prayer uh, that's attributed to Reinhold Niebuhr. Yeah. The, you know, give me the, what is it? Um, oh, give me the strength to control the things that I can and like the courage to not control the things that I can't and to, or something or the, 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 the wisdom the wisdom yeah the um something man the, to know what I can't control or something and then the courage to know the difference something like that yeah but the idea being that one function of religion is basically to help you to deal with the unknown yeah. which is connected to the ambiguities which is connected to the mysteries which is connected to vulnerability mm-hmm. yeah um, many of the interpretations see the letters as abbreviations that may represent names or qualities of Allah, phrases or names of other objects. Um, in the surah, some offer the interpretation that the Aleph stands for Allah, Lam for Jibreel, and Mim for Muhammad. So there are many theories, hmm. right? Keep going. Symbolizing the descent of revelation from Allah through Jibreel to so that becomes a problem if you say this is what it means yeah if you say perhaps this is what it means Allah knows best then it's not as much of an issue but if you say this means this Alif Lami means you know Allah Jibreel and the Prophet then that's a problem another interpretation states that the Alif represents the origin of sound the Lam represents the middle of it since it is produced in the mouth and the meme represents the consummation of sound since it is produced on the lips. 
Others see the individual letters as representing the names of surahs, as is recognized universally in the case of Yasin, Saad, Nun, and Kaf. Although other surahs with individual letters bear other names, such as Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran. Still others, like followers of the Islamic science, called Al-Jafar, the science of esoteric commentary akin to Gematria sure. in Hebrew, base interpretations on the numerical symbolism and value of the letters since each Arabic letter has a corresponding numerical value. So this is raising the question, how do we derive meaning? Okay, it's one thing to say that this is ambiguous, but if there is meaning, how do we derive meaning? And that comes by way of setting up a methodology. But if all you have are Arabic letters, then one approach is this approach of giving a numerical value to every letter and then seeing what happens. So if Aleph is one, Lam is 30, Mim is 40, so that adds up to 80, maybe 80 means something, right? And so, so you'll find that as a technique people do to try to derive meaning from that which seems to have no knowable meaning. Yeah. Some have seen the letters as signals that the book is made up of these letters and that they can be seen as an oath, as is so common in the Quran, such as in Surah 91, whose first seven verses start with Allah swearing an oath by created things. In the case of the letters, Allah would thus be swearing by the letters that make up the Quran, just as he swears by some objects of the world of creation. At a deeper level of meaning, the letters in their multi multifarious forms, sounds, and loci of pronunciation in the mouth and throat symbolize Allah's creative act. In the same way that the letters and sounds make up words that make up the book, the manifestation and interplay of Allah's names and qualities make up creation. In this vein, many Sufis have spoken of creation as the breath of the compassionate, manifesting Allah's names and qualities. Okay, so these are all very, very different interpretations, trying to derive wisdom from, from those letters. Okay, so let's stop right here. And next time we'll get into ayah number two. All right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk wa akhari da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.